Sure. Are, are we introducing the uh, participants here at some point? Uh, have you not listened to this show, Fred? Oh, I have. Yeah. In fact, I've, I've been participating in many of them. but Because uh, each week there's an intro explaining that you're Fred Perkins, the chief engineer. Oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that. That's how every show starts off. And, and acting executive director, Michael Brooks. And me, just as, you know, the guy who goes, huh? What? No. You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with acting executive director, Michael Brooks, chief engineer, Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org. It's, it's very unsafe lately to drive on the roads the past year or so. We're seeing um, is motor vehicle deaths that are increasing due to uh, bad driving because of the pandemic. Um, you know, there's uh, uh, collisions are increasing. And I did a quick search. This is kind of funny. It was I did a, a search for how many auto fatalities per day. And the top result brings you to an article on the Centers for Disease Control website, which I, I assume it would be NHTSA or the Department of Transportation. But the Centers for Disease Control apparently thinks we're all very diseased drivers out there because we're looking well, at they, they actually collect information from hospitals um, on motor vehicle fatalities and injuries. So their data can be super helpful um on that side of things not particularly for the crash um but they um are fairly reliable there because nitsa's data is based on far system and estimates and that includes things that happen on public roads and so things like uh front overs back overs uh power windows a lot of children child safety issues in the driveway never make it anything that happens off road on private roads on back roads that aren't state roads or county roads um, doesn't make it into the forest estimates. So um, you see the NHTSA estimates and that represents a significant chunk of the total fatalities um, each year, but it's, it's not all of them. And um, sometimes the CDC data helps us hone in on some of the missing area, the areas that, that the NHTSA data might be missing. And typically that's, that's the off-road stuff. Okay, can you uh, refresh my memory? What's the FARS stand for? Fatality Analysis Reporting System. Um, that's the NHTSA's data that's collected from state cr police crash reports each year. Okay, but that doesn't cover any sort of auto fatalities that happen in a driveway or driveway. Uh, um, I mean, roading. The definition is, is, that they've relied on over the years is a vehicle in transit, um, which means essentially a vehicle on or just off of a public road. So anything that happens in a parking lot or in any type of private area or private land is, is not going to be recorded. Okay. So have the roads become less safe since the pandemic? Because that's when I started driving again. And I, you know, I've definitely made the roads less safe. Well, it's, it's curious the fatality numbers have spiked and there's clearly a problem going on there, but the overall crash and injury rates appear to be falling at the same time. Um, so it's somewhat of a mystery, although it, you know, 
it appears that reckless driving behaviors and speeding and um, driving drunk or incapacitated in some other way are, are, are playing a major role in the problem. Um, but, you know, these it, it's kind of started around the time of the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a new area. So the NHTSA data hasn't really teased out everything that's going on or if there is one solution or a multifaceted solution that needs to be deployed. Um, but we're hopeful that the quicker some of the better safety technology makes it on the road, we can start making a dent into those things. Um, you know, and it's it's opened the door for suggestions for things like, you know, speed limiting technology that could prevent a significant chunk of these incidents. We would never go for that, though. People would be defeating that stuff immediately. Um well, I mean, it would be nice, you know, as a parent to have that option on your child's car, first of all. Um, and at some point, I would anticipate that whether your car wants to or not, when V2X is part of our infrastructure, you're going to be speed limited, whether you like it or not, upon entering certain areas where speeds are going to be um, essentially mandated and put into force. Okay, v, now, now you're jumping V2X. You gotta have, right. I haven't had my coffee yet. You're throwing acronym super. <laughs> so vehicle to vehicle communication, am I right? That's one. That's um, V2X is kind of vehicle to everything. So it could be vehicle to other vehicles, vehicle to infrastructure. You know, you could talk to stoplights or stop signs. Um, you could, you know, literally cover an area and, and, you know, make every vehicle in that area go a certain speed. You could do things like that if you wanted to. Um, in urban areas, that might make a lot of sense. I mean, it would prevent some of these, you know, like the crash in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago where someone was going almost 100 miles an hour through an intersection and caught a car on fire and killed, you know, I think three or four people, a mother, a pregnant mother. Um, that's the kind of thing in the middle of a city that could be eliminated forever if the technology is installed you know if we you know there's a lot of resistance americans don't want to slow down or don't want to be told to slow down but the numbers suggest that speeding is just not a problem that's going away and it continues to result in a lot of the tragedies we see on the roads every year yeah i i've noticed let's i'm just gonna say this theoretically this would have happened in case anyone from my insurance company is listening but theoretically i was driving on this road in connecticut and uh it's this two-lane highway which is poorly designed because it's designed to aim you in one direction heading towards the setting sun constantly it doesn't matter what time of day it is but the sun will be right in your eyeballs and i'm in the left lane let's say theoretically going 70 miles per hour in a 55 there is a guy behind me honking blaring on my horn that i'm going too slow and wants me to pull over i pull over to the slower lane he comes up to me, slows down, gives me the finger, and speeds off doing 90, at least. And every other car behind him does the exact same thing. This is not like a straight highway. Again, it is aimed right at the setting sun. You can't see anything. There's lots of twists and turns. I don't remember drivers being this aggressive in the past. And I lived in California for a number of years where those people can't, and like when it drizzles outside, they all panic. So... Is it is it fluoride in the water? Is that what's causing this? I, I, it's clearly some human behavioral issue that's driving the rates here. Because the, when you see 
overall that crashes and injuries are coming down, but there's just this one segment that appears to be driven by reckless behavior um, since the beginning of, you know, the pandemic. It, it, you know, it's, it's something that's probably beyond my comprehension, I think at this point, but it, you know, I think all of us have know, have know there has been probably folks, you know, whose mental health conditions may have been exacerbated during the pandemic. Isolation plays a role, a lot of things. I'm not a psychologist, but um, I think that's certainly borne out by, by, some of the emotional driving we're seeing on the road from folks who may, may, may have been stuck in their house for six months and just gotten out or, you know, I, I don't really understand the mindset behind the reckless behavior, but um, maybe there was a rise in, in um, people drinking and driving during the pandemic. That's certainly a possibility or other types of drug use. Um, but, you know, to me, you know, these are behaviors that right now, represent a huge problem, but that, that, you know, that at the center, we think they're in the future, there are ways we can solve them and um, certainly mitigate them to the extent that we're not seeing innocent folks getting wrapped up into the, um, you know, these, these bad behaviors. Hmm. So Fred, how often are you drinking and driving? Me personally? Yeah. Mm, about zero. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I'm, how I'm often are you building illegal radios while driving? Well, I do adjust the radio from time to time, but um, I think you know Michael brings up some great points about just the human human uh, psychology being imponderable right now, and nobody really knows what's going on about that. The technical solutions could be applied to this. The V2X uh, is one potential, but you know, there's always the the downside of that, which is the automation complacency. And if you've got a system that would work very well to address a lot of the issues people are talking about uh, in cities, blind corners, people, other people who might be running red lights and what have you, uh, you've also got the problem that sometimes this technology isn't going to work. There are dead spots in the cities because of the frequencies that people are using for V2X, the 5.9 gigahertz band. There are some dead spots. It doesn't go very well through uh, dense buildings. Uh, they've been running tests on that lately. And so, you know, there, there, there will never be a perfect solution, but certainly things can be a lot better now with the automation. It's a question of whether people will accept it at all. Uh, you know, everybody I know drives a few miles an hour above the speed limit. I don't know very many people who drive a few miles an hour below the speed limit. So it's, I, I, I mean, maybe they should change the name of speed limit to speed good advice and mm-hmm. you know, have some other kind of device for limiting the, the actual speed of cars. I don't know. It's, it's a complex problem. I don't think there's any easy solution to it. Uh, a friend was telling me that when they're, when his kids were uh, getting their driver's license, uh, it was in the state of Maryland and the uh, like a Maryland trooper came to like whatever pre-driving course and said, uh, the speed limit's 55. Don't worry, we won't pull you over until you're going over 64, <laughs> which is a horrible thing to say to 16 year olds. Um, and, and just an admission of like, ah, eh, we're not going to do anything because it's not worth my time writing you a ticket. So I think you're right. It's just a, a suggested speed. Um, I like some of these technological solutions. That's especially living in a in a city where 
I live at the northern tip of Manhattan and people will they'll regularly do this race where they try and race around Manhattan in the fastest period of time. Some moron posted his time doing this on YouTube and he he managed the to same do guy it. who put his kid in front of the, the Tesla the other day. Oh, no, I didn't see that one. But this guy, he was a young guy, so I don't think he had kids. But he um, like managed to do it, this loop at like three in the morning. And he it's like three and a half minutes or something like that. I mean, insane, because this is a uh, it must be a 26, 27 mile per hour loop or 26 mile loop or something like that. And he did it in like some ridiculous period of time, puts it on YouTube, gets all this press. And then the New York City police are like, oh, we can find you now. Here's the way, but um, yeah, okay. So I, I, I think the the bigger issues with the technological solutions are. I mean, as Fred was pointing out, there's going to be some technical limits, but more of Americans are are crazy people. Um, you can't tell me what to do. Uh, so how has have these fatalities, this dangerous driving? How does this? What what's happening in the rest of the world? Is everyone else driving just as crazy as we are? Well, we know that in Europe, the fatalities have continued, have continued to decrease on an absolute and on a, on a per kilometer basis uh, throughout the pandemic and continue to do that. So there's something anomalous about the U.S. response that uh, we don't understand. It's It's got to be the Bill Gates vaccine, right? It's kind of an astounding rate, too. I believe last time we looked at it, the, you know, we were it was approaching... Um, Three, I think the the rate of the fatality rate in Europe was approaching three times less than than the, than the states. So one of the one of the key differences, I think, is that just the American vehicles are so massive. Um, people feel protected when they're in a, a massive vehicle, but you can't fight physics. And massive vehicles just have a lot more energy. Um, when they get two massive vehicles in a collision. It's just a lot more energy to dissipate. There was a, <laughs> a famous uh, event in the 19th century where they decided to run two old locomotives into each other. And so they had people lined up along both sides in chairs and having picnics. Um, and of course, when you run the two locomotives together, there's an awful lot of energy that gets dissipated and there's steam explosions and all kinds of things. Many, many people got killed. Um, that, that's an object lesson in just how much energy is in there and energy's, energy will be dissipated in a collision like that. So even if you have a single um, single vehicle collision going off the road, for example, it's still a lot more energy that's impacting whatever protective devices are there, going through the guardrails, snapping off or you know snapping off the, the pylons, or even impacting the snubbers that you see at the uh, certain intersections. It's just a lot more energy there. And, and that is a big difference between the US vehicles and the vehicles in Europe and most of the rest of the world. I, I don't think there's any other country that has quite so much simple mass on the highways. And of course, with increased speed limits, um, you know, the energy increases as a square of speed. So there's, yeah, there's just a lot of kinetic energy on the roads, and it's going to go somewhere. I think that's personally one of the factors, and you associate and you, you uh, join that with people's more liberal ideas about how they want to speed, and you know, nonconformity to traffic laws, and whatever way they're doing that. 
just a, it's a very dangerous combination. So in states with the higher speed limits, like uh, for example, Montana, which at times I, I from what I remember, I don't, I think it doesn't even have a speed limit at some points. Um, are, are crashes more fatal there or did they have a higher rate of, of these traffic accidents? I don't believe so. I mean, if you looked at that recent data, I mean, it looked like, I don't know that it's really, it's as tied to what the speed limits are as it is to, you know, there are more people in that area who are driving recklessly and, you know, speeding is one part of this, but rec- you know, speeding is part of a overall bad driving approach by some of these drivers. And it's not just speeding. That's the cause here. It's just, you know, stupidity in a lot of cases and, and being overly aggressive and a lot of, you know, poor behaviors, emotional behaviors behind the wheel. Um, you know, and connect, to connect back to earlier on the, on the Europe thing, you know, Europe is now just this year, this summer mandated intelligent speed assist in cars, which can lower the speed in your vehicle, but it more mainly functions as an additional warning that you are speeding um which is a first step towards putting you know somewhat more restrictive technology and that you could use to you know control the speed for um you know teenagers or you know and there's technology in america now where you could do that i know that tesla has it um where you can have your vehicle set to um not exceed the speed in certain situations which is important because we have seen a number of you know teen drivers um, jumping Teslas and being totally unprepared for the type of horsepower those things have. Um, you know, everybody wants to hit the button and go into uh, Mach 1 mode or whatever the hell it's called, but <laughs> that's uh, not safe. Mm. No, I think they call it ludicrous mode, which, that's it. Yep. which uh, tells you a lot, actually, about the wisdom of using it. <laughs> and, and the... the- the the emotional advancement of the founder of Tesla was that uh, named after the rapper Ludacris or just Ludacris? No, it's <laughs> I think it's, spelled? it's played from the movie Spaceballs, where they're going to different. Oh, we're going to warp speed, whatnot. We've gone to ludicrous speed, and then they go, "What happened now? We went to plaid. Plaid was beyond that." And so well, he, I love a good Spaceballs reference. Yeah, so he does that all the time. He you know he emotional development ended at age twelve. Clearly, Spaceballs is his favorite movie of all time. Um, but anyway, so getting back to what we were just talking to earlier about the the um, VX2, VX, see, I don't even remember. What V2X. was the car? V2X. There we go. Oh, my, please. Um, so uh, on August 12th, the U.S. appeals court un- uh, rejected a legal challenge to the FCC's 2020 decision to shift much of a key spectrum block set aside for auto safety to accommodate the burgeoning number of wireless devices. So my understanding of this is they had a bunch of spectrum set aside for helping cars communicate to each other or infrastructure. And the more or less the media and entertainment industry is like, yeah, the car companies aren't using this. Can we use this to send out TikTok videos? Is that right? That's, you know, that's the short of it. Yes, they're giving, you know, they're preserving their basically taking some of the spectrum that's been preserved for auto safety and using it to make sure that um, Nancy in uh, Omaha gets Netflix faster. So it's, um, you know, the auto manufacturers and us were aligned in, in wanting to preserve the spectrum. Um, 
But, you know, I think we talked about Big Phone in, in, an, in an earlier episode. You know, they're fairly powerful lobby in Washington. And the um, FCC seems to be a lot less concerned with safety than it does pushing out um, bandwidth to America. <laughs> There's a, a, a characteristic or a, a grouping of unregulated frequencies called UNII which stands for unregulated national infrastructure i can't remember what the last one is you could just make up the last one we'd believe you idiocy okay okay we'll yeah that. um anyway there's a, there are a lot of different bands that are dedicated to that and so this was uh ajit pies who is the administrator of fcc um idea to expand that unii even more to include that part of the bandwidth that had been allocated to uh, to vehicles. But it gets worse, of course, because what we learned as we were investigating this is that the FCC's main rationale for saying this should be done is because the bandwidth wasn't being used properly. It wasn't being heavily used. Um, if you look a little deeper, though, what you find is that the FCC was refusing to license people who wanted to use it which is a big part of the reason why it wasn't being used. And so this, you know, clearly this goes back deep into FCC's long-term ambition to move as much of the bandwidth as possible into this UNII so that people could use it for um, Wi-Fi and, you know, various other, uh, various other uses that weren't associated with traffic safety. But to me, it's, it's kind of the height of government cynicism to use the rationale that nobody's using it on top of the fact that you're not allowing people to use it because you're denying licenses. There are systems hanging on light poles all over the state of Georgia for which Georgia has applied for the license to use them, and the licenses have just been hung up for literally years. Meanwhile, Georgia's invested all this money in the in, in the uh, V2X infrastructure that is literally uh, just hanging there useless right now. It's it's really a terrible example of abuse of the government power on the basis of industries and revolving chairs. Of course, Ajit Pai immediately left the FCC as soon as that was put in place. And he's now, I think he's an independent consultant, Michael. I've lost track of him, but I know he's left the FCC. I can't so keep up with the, all the folks in D.C. that moved to big, um, big money jobs and corporations. It's impossible. And we're just waiting yeah. for you to do the same. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got an opening for you, Michael, that I, you know, I think you'd be qualified for. Um, there's a story out of the DetroitBureau.com about how the U.S. can't hold on to a leader at NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. The newest leader had just left after three months um and it looks like they haven't been able to hold on to anyone to run nitsa for quite some time uh so well, they had i would say let's see they had a big string throughout the trump administration i mean frankly none of the nomin none of the folks that the trump administration put forward um particularly early earlier in the administration should have been nominated to be a nits administrator that's um, James Owens came in later in the administration and um, 
um, after he left and the Biden administration came in, they nominated Steve Cliff, who came from uh, the California Air Res Resources Board. I think he's a chemist by trade. I mean, he was brought in because the um, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, works with the EPA to do the uh, corporate average fuel economy rule, which is called CAFE. Um, that's basically your the the goals for vehicle fuel economy in America, the required amount of fuel economy that each manufacturer has to meet every year. Um, and they got that done. And um, it took actually, he was at NHTSA for a lot longer than the three months that a lot of the articles cite. He was there running the show from um, just a few, probably a few months after the administration switched over. So he's been there well over a year, almost two years. Um, so it was a little disappointing he left. You know, we thought he was doing a pretty good job over there. Um, they're replacing him for now with uh, Ann Carlson as the acting administrator. Um, and she was the chief counsel. And she's, you know, been intimately involved in all of the safety issues and enforcement over there. Um, so we think that's a, you know, a good choice and we're looking forward to working with her and hoping we can get a lot of these nits and rulemakings uh, off the ground and running and get this technology we keep talking about into vehicles and into our infrastructure. Well, I think the two of you have a lot in common. You used to be chief counsel. Now you're acting executive director. She used to be chief counsel. Now she's acting. I mean, you know, a swipe left or swipe right. <laughs> I don't know. Swipe somewhere. I think, you know, either that or update your resume and, uh, you know, you, you can run it. Stranger yeah, thing. I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate that ever becoming an issue. <laughs> uh, it's with that kind of attitude, you know, that's, that's why we can't get safety in cars. Um, all right. So let's, uh, should we move on to, um, you know, tangential Tesla news or somewhat Tesla related and Tesla related? So there's a, with all these uh, new cars, everyone's moving to touchscreens for everything. So they want to remove all buttons from cars, which always just struck right. me dumb. I think there's too many buttons right now in cars. Like, but there's duplicate buttons on my steering wheel that are also on the center console. Right. I, I, my wife yells at me for reaching over to the center console to adjust volume. She's yeah, like, how many different ways in your car can you adjust volume? Right. And she's like, you can do that on the steering wheel. And I'm like, I know, but there's like six different up arrows on the steering wheel. I don't know what. It, like if I press this one, it's part of the screen changes. Uh, but so there's this push to say, hey, let's put everything on a touch screen, which my background being in, in user experience design, I just knew it was a horrible idea um, because you don't, you can't, like I can't keep looking at the road and just feel, hey, this button feels slightly different. Or I know this location because the screen, there's nothing to feel. Uh, and apparently with Tesla owners, like some of these, these buttons are hidden three screens down. Uh, so there's a there's a simple study that came out when people realized, oh yeah, buttons beat touchscreens. Touchscreens not a great uh, interface for people to remember. How do I turn on air conditioning? Um, and Tesla seems to be the the main driver getting rid of buttons. You know, I think that probably most manufacturers are moving in that direction, um, and the reason is because touch screens are cheaper than buttons. Um, once you look at all of the different buttons you have in your car, it would make a lot of sense to consolidate that behind one, one area 
of the vehicle versus having to wire every button um, for that. I, I don't, I, we get a lot of complaints on um, the touch screens or we, or we see a lot of complaints on the touch screens. There seem to be a lot of glitches and, you know, it's very similar to computers. You know, we, we see a lot of, a lot of complaints from owners and that's okay when, you know, it's just maybe disrupting your radio station selection or your air conditioning. But if your hazard lights are in on the touch screen or other critical safety functions, that's where um, we may start to see some problems because I'm sure at some point, unless, you know, other than the safety systems that are defined in the federal motor vehicle safety standards and are, you know, kind of somewhat forced uh, to be in button form, um, there are going to be some other safety features in vehicles that will probably migrate to touchscreen use. And that, that, that can pose an issue when the touchscreen fails or is damaged or, or you know, if, if the number of complaints we keep seeing now on the touchscreens and the interfaces continue, um, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And they keep getting bigger. They don't, you know, there's, there's no impetus in industry to make them smaller. Every model year seems to see them bigger and bigger. And uh, I think the Mercedes now has one that extends over the entire extent of the dashboard. So I thought, as Michael says, there's, there's got to be some reconciliation with necessary functions that need to be preserved in the, uh, in the console for ready access. But once again, we're, you know, we're stuck with the problem that there are no regulations concerning that. And uh, it takes just a long time. And, you know, NHTSA has the tendency to just sit back and wait until the crisis emerges before they will go ahead and turn the crank on putting a regulation in place. So maybe, you know, maybe we just have to get used to this. I agree that it's very distracting to see a lot of information on the on the uh, touch screen and having to respond to it. Uh, I guess, you know, oh, what do you think? Do we just have to learn to live with it, Michael, or we just says something's going to happen, change uh, fairly rapidly? I'm going to warn you now, Michael put himself on mute. He doesn't realize it. He put himself on mute after he cleared his throat. It's, yeah, I did a bad job there. My timing's a little off this <laughs> no, morning. He's like, let me clear my throat. Oh, now I'll press mute. Come on. Also, listeners, yeah. we, we've both Fred and I requested two, three weeks ago that Michael buy a microphone. Um, but instead, he's going for this. I sound like I'm talking through a telephone in the 1970s. I thought I corrected that issue, but I can I can keep working on it. <laughs> no, it makes no, me a bad voice. It, it's um. All right, where were we? Now you have to remind me. You know, I'm easily thrown off. Uh, 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 Fred was asking you, do we do we have to live with this, or will there actually be regulations around? I requiring? I can't see regulations coming out of this issue too soon, mainly because NHTSA has been studying visual manual um, distractions in the form of phones for almost twenty years now, without any movement whatsoever on regulations. It's one of those areas they seem to be very hesitant to jump into and require one thing or the other. And that's because, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, the, I think the software in a vehicle represents about 50% of its value now, you know, it's, it's not going away. And so that it's, it's an area, a profit center for automakers that they don't want that's having its hands in. 
Um, but if we see some safety, you know, issues arise due to this, and we've already seen some with the screens, mainly involving backup cameras and, and some other things. Um, but I think that continued integration here, you know, it's something that we need to keep an eye on to make sure that no safety critical functions are getting wrapped up in the electronic and entertainment. It's, it's a concern we also have with some of the subscriptions, uh, that are coming out on vehicles, um, they haven't really moved towards making people subscribe to safety features, but I, 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 at some point someone's going to do it or at least get really close to a safety feature. So, um, you know, it's, it's a whole new world. It's fascinating. So reading this article and uh, the auto safety test, physical buttons beat modern touchscreens um, in their worst results. They, it was the, um, some a compact chinese suv the driver needed 44.6 seconds to complete all of the tasks using a touchscreen um whereas the best performing took 13 and a half seconds um basically this test was showing that um it takes forever um and the, the variety of time it takes for people to complete the same task on a touchscreen versus physical buttons the disparity is huge well, I always end up in my car when the tire pressure monitoring light comes on, having to go into the owner's manual, and which is always fun finding the actual page you need to go to to find your information there and learning how to program the system. So it's not as though any of these things are very intuitive, you know, it's, and it's, you know, certainly not something anyone should be doing while they're driving. Um, but, you know, the, the more, you know, if you bury the, the defrost function, you know, whatever you use to defrost your uh, rear window somewhere on a touchscreen that requires four steps versus the one you have, one button you have now, obviously we're, we're, we're creating problems and distractions where they don't need to be. Yeah. And that button right now for defrost, we know it doesn't work. You know, you wind up throwing on the air conditioner, trying to open windows. You do a lot of different voodoo to try and get your, your window defrosted. Or is it? I, it could just be me. But wait, you, the tire pressure warning comes on. You know what you're supposed to do. Um, you don't have to go into a manual. You just fill your tires up with yeah, air. Yeah, you have to fill your tires up, measure them, make sure they're all in proper inflation, and that depends on the the uh, temperature too. So you need to be sure about that. And um, then you reset the system so that it's got a baseline, um, so that it can detect when your tire loses pressure again. Oh, I didn't have to do that with mine. I saw that little icon. I had no clue what that icon was. I ignored it for weeks. Then I was like, okay, my wife told me what it was, and I just went to a gas station, just doom, boom, boom, and just. Well, you may have a fancier, yeah. a fancier system than I do, or it's an auto, you know, it auto calibrates. I don't know. I, I have a very fancy, fancy system in my Corolla. Okay, so into uh, the the more Tesla specific news because that's what everyone listens for is Tesla is raising the price of its full self driving to fifteen thousand dollars, fifteen thousand dollars for beta software, the the gall like it, and it's not full, it's not self, and it's not driving. Who's paying for this? Like, I want to. I, I don't think that many of, of the folks that own Teslas are actually buying this. I think that I've seen articles where the take rate on this is down around ten percent. Um, so you, it's some of the really. The, I think it's a lot of people who are kind of you know Tesla devotees and people who are really interested in the tech who want to experience the car. 
performing some of those maneuvers that we've seen. Um, but, you know, it's you can get it for $200 a month, I think it is, $199 a month as a subscription and try it out um, is what I would do if I owned a Tesla. Uh, it seems like a better deal um, just, just if you want to experience it. But at this point, you know, it's, I, I you know, with, with some of the issues we've seen, it's not something we would recommend signing up for and, and hopping in and, and thinking that it's going to drive you around just fine. Well, you're a bit of a party pooper. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who spend a lot of money to go skydiving. Yeah. Um, some people just, some people just like the thrill of imminent death, I suppose. And you know, if this fifteen thousand dollars gets it for him, well, you know, go for it, Elon. You you can use the money, I suppose. <laughs> That's a great ad for for full self driving. Do you like the thrill of imminent death? Only fifteen thousand dollars, no parachute included. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that they're raising the price on software that is incomplete. Like they, you, and you to, to not only do you give them $15,000, you have to sign this very long, complex, uh, legal agreement, this waiver, right. which I searched for online and I can't find it. Um, the best I could find is like some very high level language saying this software isn't complete. Uh, we're going to take all of your data. You have no access to it. And we will randomly and at our own choosing replace the software in your system. There's nothing you can do about it. Nanny, nanny, boo boo. Well, NHTSA has a copy of that waiver because they requested it in a special order last year because uh, Tesla was trying to silence complaints um, via, or the allegation is that Tesla was trying to silence complaints via non disclosure agreements with beta testers. Um, and I saw that some beta tester uh, made the mistake of tweeting out a complaint um, about the full self-driving and how it's working for him. It wasn't very satisfactory. And Elon basically said, you know, it's 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 a beta. Why are you complaining? <laughs> Which to me is weird because the guy did pay. I don't know if he's on the subscription or if he paid thousands for it. But, you know, you, you would... It seems naturally you would complain when a product's not delivering on, on, on you know, what it what it's promising. Well, people are funny. You know, there was a, an article this week that I read about people volunteering their own children to stand in front of cars that are operating on full self-driving to prove that, in fact, the full self-driving will avoid their children. Um, I, I don't understand the brand loyalty that would get you to put your own child at risk to prove a point that you know, maybe the cars are safe, maybe they're not. All right, fine. You know, use a use a stick or something, but putting your own children in front of it, it's very odd. Um, hopefully that's not a large number of people doing that, but to the point that, you know, there are some people who just love that threat of imminent death and apparently not only to themselves, but to their own children. Do they make the children balance an apple on their head at the same time and like recite from William S. Burroughs novels? That's not clear. That's okay. Not clear. <laughs> okay. Cause that might make a little more sense to me. All right. Um, uh, well, I mean that, I guess what else can be said about that? Why complain it's beta software that you're charging a lot of people for. I remember a year long time ago, I worked for Apple and at, at a developer conference, people 
average consumers, not software developers, were demanding copies of a developer preview of an operating system. And we'd explain to them, no, you, you don't want this. It will break your computer. And like, no, yeah. give it to me. I want it. Yeah. You'd break down and you'd give it to them, but like, you know, they weren't charged $15,000 for it. They were, it was like, here you go. It's free. You're not going to like it. It might brick your computer. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this is like use at your own risk. Um, you so. know, some folks love that. I, I you know, I get that. I, there are a lot of people who are really into tech and who, you know, and S and M at the they same. Really time. Want, they really want to see a car that can, you know, drive itself, and they want to be part of that. I get that, but you know, this isn't the car. Um, <laughs> I think that's clear at this point, and I, the way that the self driving keeps getting raised significantly every year, when we don't see, you know, just. A, a lot of improvements or even a future as an autonomous system for, for, for the Teslas that are on the road right now. It's, it's confusing to me why folks would pay that. I don't know, but I can see Fred right now with his checkbook, writing out a check to you. <laughs> it's very strange. $15,000 you said, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a lot of zeros. You can uh, probably add a missile defense system to the car. Um, they don't take checks. <laughs> all right. Uh, time to move on to listener mail. How's that sound? Good. Great. So this comes in from Jane Perkins. <laughs> Hi, is there a link to previous podcast episodes? Why, yes, Jane, there is. If you go to autosafety.org slash podcasts, there's a link there. It says more episodes. Click on that. You'll find more episodes because she said, I wanted to find out the reference to Ferrari and tomato sauce in this episode. I'm not sure if you really do. Um, <laughs> no, your fame is spreading, Anthony. That's great. <laughs> is it my fame or is it your infamy? Uh, also, can you buy new cars that are that are not computer dependent? And is it safer to drive an older car that is not dependent on a computer interface? Thank you. I think that's an excellent question. Is it possible to buy uh, a dumb car, essentially? I don't believe it's possible to buy a dumb car, but um, not a new one. Not a new no, one. Not a new one. There's so many computers. I and mean, we we discussed a little last episode where there was, um, you know, there are no new cars produced that don't have at least probably a dozen uh, control units, maybe way more. I mean, most a lot of the luxury cars are up into the well over the hundred, maybe two hundred different computing systems in the vehicle so um the answer would be no i don't think there's any way to buy a new car that that doesn't rely on computers and frankly you don't want a car that doesn't have a computer in it because some of the safety systems now are, are you know your your occupant protection system your stability control and a lot of the other systems are completely reliant on software and computing to work um so that's that's the answer. Is that the answer to both? I think there's two no's there. Um, yeah. Well, the the last purely mechanical car I owned, I think, was a 1986 um, Mercedes 300 D Turbo, and the engineer, the mechanical engineers, loved it because it was fully mechanical. It had diesel engine. Um, it had cruise control, but the cruise control worked pneumatically. The uh, 
lockings, the car locks, the door locks, I should say, they were pneumatic too. They'd give a little hissing noise as they were actuated. So that yeah, was a mechanical engineer's dream. But that was uh, starting to be like 36 years ago, right? So I don't think you can get a, a car any newer than that that doesn't have a significant electrical components in it. Significant, uh, just a population of electrical components. So Jane followed up with a, another question separately. She said, are older cars safer? Um, and this kind of leads into how we started off this episode with all the fatalities, the increasing fatalities. My impression was that new cars are much safer, um, but we have increased fatalities. So Jane asks, are older cars safer? So the older cars are not going to be safer for a few of the reasons I referenced um, in the first question. You know, they don't have, if, if they don't have computers, they won't have a lot of the safety systems that are installed in modern vehicles, the airbag systems, the, the pretensioners and your seat belts. There's a lot of things that are connected to computers now to make sure they work really well um, and that are necessary for protection and, and that have driven a lot of the um, reduction in fatalities that we saw previously, which is now a problem again. Um, but what we, what we what you do see in the data is that crashes are going down and injuries are going down. So there's there's I don't think there's much question that that cars are getting safer, and it may be that it's the humans right now who are who are becoming less safe. Um, and I, I, I would not recommend, you know, looking towards older vehicles um, for better safety. Um, they're going to be heavier. They're going to have worse fuel economy, and they're not going to have a lot of the modern safety features. Thanks for listening to another episode. Be sure to subscribe and like. I don't know if you can like. If you listen on iTunes, write a review or don't write a review. Just give us five stars. Apparently, it helps. I don't know. Apple sends me emails about how to improve your podcast experience. I don't read them. I have other things in my life. Um, so, hey, from all of us here, thank you. And everyone else is quiet. I guess because I said from all of us here, you guys can say thank you as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Anthony. Uh, not thank you for me. listening. Thank you, Anthony, for participating. And thank you, Michael, for being your usual cheerful self. <laughs> and go to autosafety.org to find out more and uh, click that donate button. And just empty your wallet um, to keep programming like this. Okay. Don't drive like my brother. All right. Don't drive like my brother. Yeah, you sound. <laughs> like it's, it's sad that they're not on the radio anymore. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.